Welcome to episode 27 of the F1 show for the 2008 Spanish Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Loud. We had three long weeks off from F1 racing, but we're back at it and back in Europe. And once again, Ferrari dominates the field, this time with Raikkonen taking an easy win at the Spanish Grand Prix. Felipe Massa never challenged his teammate, but quietly and calmly held position, allowing Ferrari to reclaim the Constructors' Championship lead. Fernando Alonso surprised the crowd and himself by qualifying on the front row, just behind Raikkonen. But a light load of fuel forcing an early pit stop and later a fried left bank of cylinders kept him from capitalizing on Saturday's performance. Alonso's best mate, Hamilton, could only manage fifth on the grid. He overcame that with a strong start and consistent performance to capture the final step on the podium and a bottle of bubbly for his trouble. Apart from the top three, the race as a whole proved too much for many drivers. In fact, nine guys fell victim to mechanical failures or the red mist. Not the least of which was Heike Kovalainen's scary shunt when a rim failure sent him straight into the tire wall at well over 100 miles an hour. I'm assuming. I didn't really know that, but... He it was, was... It was fast. It was fast. He was okay. These DNFs allowed others to shine, including Jensen Button, finishing sixth with the bizarre rabbit ear Honda. So much for a simple and clean design. Ahead of the Brit was Kubica, fourth in his BMW Sauber, and Mark Webber, fifth in his Red Bull Renault. And Kaz Nakajima managed to stay out of trouble to finish seventh, outpacing his German teammate Nico Rosberg. And finally, Jarno Trulli continues to march forward, Toyota flag flying, collecting a point for eighth. So, Jim, to me, this was somehow both a dramatic and boring race. Uh, what did you think? Well, first I want to talk about what happened with qualifying and Fernando Alonso. I mean, that was a big jump. Um, he started really showing pace in the second qualifying session. Um, Nelson Piquet didn't really do anything amazing, but uh, Fernando Alonso just really came out strong when everyone was on light fuel loads. And then in Q3, made his big point where he actually was on pole for a couple of seconds before Kimi Raikkonen finished his lap. And really just sort of out of nowhere. I mean, you know, we didn't really even notice the lap time so well in Q2. But um, when Fernando Alonso comes up on pole, um, you know, besting Hamilton and Massa, you know, knocking Massa off pole and it was faster than, than the rest of them. Um, it was just really impressive and really sort of out of nowhere. Um, we later found out that, um, that uh, you know, he was even, it even surprised him to, uh, to see that he was that far up because he didn't think they were going to be that far. Um, and we sort of figured, okay, he's got to be on really light fuel. They're in Spain. I mean, I think I literally said that. You know, there's no way this is his pace. Um, they've got to just have, you know, he's got to be going for like two laps and then need to need to get fuel. Yeah, that's pretty much what everyone thought, that he was running very light on fuel. Yeah, until you look into the lap times a little bit more and realize that he was fast in Q2 and uh, and that this may be for real. And we had to wait till the race to find out. Um, but, I mean, he was only, what, four laps? Um, he, he pitted, what, four laps? He, he pitted on lap Reichen? 16 and Raikkonen pitted on lap 20. And I think another way to another indicator to show that he really had some good pace is this season Alonso has very consistently outpaced PK by a large margin, and PK was in Q3 as well. He made it, he made it into the top ten. So the car is improving, and Alonso has been much better at getting the most out of the car than PK has. Yeah, so it's a combination of a short fill, but that's not. I mean, we've seen Toyota in the past put Yarno Truly, I think, in the USGP a couple of years ago. 
Um, he got second place, and and I think went six laps before needing fuel. I mean, there have been times where just it's obvious to just sort of you know get morale up in the team or get the fans excited or get the media talking about your team when the performance really isn't there. But we've got to give credit to Renault and Alonso because he was holding right there with the Ferraris. And four laps of fuel, I mean, that, that's a big difference, sure, in Formula One. Everything, every, everything, you know, every pound counts, every kilogram on the car. Uh, but that's not a night and day difference, and it's not like he was on pole, then immediately the Ferraris just ran away from him, and he was, he was holding his own. Right, it was, you know, about a 20-pound difference between the fuel load, and that is something that at that level does help. But even considering that, he was, he lost his position, his second-place position, to Massa right at the beginning of the race. Yeah. But afterward, he was able to stay behind Massa and you know, more or less keep him in sights for pretty much the entire first stint. So he, he did a very respectable job and definitely turned some heads and got some people looking. Yeah, definitely just sort of shows the uh, the performance advantage um, that have been gained in, just in the last, you know, since the beginning of the season and, and how much development's gone on. And before we go on to talk about that, I just want to mention, you know, his teammate, Nelson Piquet, um, showed a lot of promise as a lot of these guys do coming into the sport and and I remember uh, his his father Nelson Piquet senior um even saying there's no reason my son can't be just as fast as Alonso in that car you know he's ever been as good a driver and that's really not the case that's just not true and uh and and you know I, I don't know if it's a reality check for Nelson to sort of realize hey there's more to it than just raw talent or just you know flashes of brilliance but to really you know put together a whole race that's going to work and, and work properly um you know, that's that's a big job and uh, not something that, you know, it's not as easy as it looks, I guess. Well, you, yeah, you've got a couple things going on. First of all, it's the guy's dad, and of course he's going to think highly of his son. But, you know, Alonzo put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths last year, including ours. But this is kind of a reminder that he's still a very impressive talent and above and beyond the average Formula 1 driver, which I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, but that's exactly what Nelson Piquet is. He's an average Formula 1 driver. He may be able to make inroads coming his sophomore uh, and and uh, junior season, I suppose. But you know, you look at Nico Rosberg, for example. When he came into the Formula One, he was fast right out of the right yeah, at the beginning. First race, he was third spot, right in uh, Bahrain a couple of years back. Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't remember. But he it was he, a podium. He, it was he was right up there, and it was just amazing to see. He, hey, man, this 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 has got to be the new face of Formula One, right? I mean, yeah, it's his kid. he, he was impressively quick, especially considering the pace of the Williams at the time. Uh, when Kovalainen came in, he he had to settle down a little bit, but he very quickly showed that he was much quicker than Fisichella. I think Hamilton. I don't even have to mention, but you know that was rookie season. You know, so Piquet has not shown anything impressive in testing, nor anything impressive in the race results so far. Now we're four races in, so. If he doesn't start turning it up and closing the gap to Alonso, he's going to fade fast. Yeah, definitely. So do you think we're seeing the car's true performance now? I mean, we're in Europe. Um, we've had the, the first three races are all flyaway races, and uh, a lot of the, the teams don't get all the newest and latest parts onto the cars, you know, ship them out to Australia or to Malaysia or Bahrain. Um, so now we should see, you know, all the cars are sort of caught up with all the development that's gone on in, in, the, in the last, you know, several months. Um, and it's it's one of these things. It's hard to sort of say is this the state of the art because next week there's going to be, or I guess we're two weeks out from from Turkey. You know, there's going to be all the, the development that goes on then. So it's it's always sort of it's always a moving kind of target. But um, is the layout of the cars now and so the the way uh, the way things panned out is that representative of what we're going to see for the rest of the season? Well, it's interesting. We did see some new things. You know, Ferrari has this new center tunnel that's into the front wing that's supposed to. Uh, channel air up from under the car to the top and help reduce pressure and maybe 
increase more of a ground effect um, at the bottom of the car, which really helped suck the car down. Um, and the car obviously performed very well. Renault has adopted Red Bull's um, dorsal fin, you know, straight line behind the air intake bodywork in the back mm-hmm. that we thought maybe for stability. And Honda has somehow got drunk on Jaeger and decided to design some front wing parts at a party. Yeah, because all of a sudden, uh, BMW's front uh, moose head wing doesn't look so radical anymore because it, it, it looks kind of like rabbit ears or something on, on this Honda, but uh, it looks like something that kind of drawn up out of a cartoon. And um, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, there's so many variables here, and, and Honda hasn't been um, terribly... Um, consistent in their results to say if this has really made a, a you know a big difference for them or not, but um, you know it definitely has a different look, and uh, we'll just have to see you know if that team can keep keep developing, and uh, you know Jensen Button finishing sixth spot, well done you know um, yeah but that was luck I mean I, that that was attrition yeah that was attrition big time and we're we're gonna get to that a little bit more later, so to answer the question, is this the true performance of the cars? Mm, mm, yes and no. I don't think that McLaren is now that much slower because Ferrari handily outpaced the McLarens at this race. Yeah. Two races in a row. I don't think we're going to see that continue throughout the season. Yeah, I got the feeling Massa, um, who was running second spot just ahead of Lewis, um, basically could have gone faster if he needed to, if he wanted to. You know, if Lewis really did start to put pressure on him, that he could just pull away. Um, and they were keeping, it was about a two second lead. I mean, it wasn't a huge lead. Um, but the Ferrari didn't have any reason to push harder and, and you know risk you know a spin or, or you know risk any any kind of crash. So it's if this is the true pace, then McLaren's definitely in trouble because I feel like Lewis was trying his hardest and the Ferraris were just relaxed because they had they had the pace in hand. And I will say though that I think that based on the development of the car and what we've seen, I think you could see Renault coming in creeping up and you know playing playing around in the. Uh, in the top spots a little while. I don't know if you're going to see them on the podium necessarily. Maybe if the attrition falls in the right place. But I think Renault has improved a little bit. I think that's real. But truthfully, I, I never put too much validity into this, oh, the first three races don't really count. Just wait till the European round starts. That's when all the real development stops. Because yeah. that's true for everybody. And truthfully, you see new developments on the car throughout the year. So maybe it's a little bit heavier once you get the first European round, but I don't think significantly so. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess whether or not Renault is a top team raises the question, who are the top teams? And apparently uh, BMW has come out and said, um, as though it's some official moniker, whether you are or are not a top team, BMW has come out and said, yes, yes, we are a top team. That was the words of Dr. Mario Thiessen saying that now that we are leading in the Constructors' Championship and based on our performance the first three races, we are now a top team, and he thinks that's apparent, that's obvious. Uh, I disagree. I don't think they're a top team at all. I still think they're the best of the rest. I think they've worked hard, and I think they've done well to improve the car over last year. And I also think they have closed the gap some, but I still think you're going to be seeing McLarens and Ferraris winning the races and McLarens and Ferraris predominantly on the podium. Yeah, you can't argue with success. I mean, leading the Constructors' Championship is one metric, which you could say they are the top team of the moment by saying we have more points and we've had more solid finishes than the other guys. Which is no longer true. Ferrari overtook them Yeah, now it's, now it's no longer true. But so, so technically they could say that they are a better team than McLaren, although this isn't a representative result for McLaren either because uh, Heike Kovalainen, you know, with his huge crash, obviously getting no points there. But at the end of the season, if they come out winning the Constructors' Championship, 
and you know we just say, oh, that's not representative of Ferrari, and that's not representative of McLaren. Who cares if, if BMW wins? So there's definitely something to be said for leading the championship, but I, I ultimately I agree that they're not. It's it's not an open question between oh Ferrari, McLaren, BMW. Who it could be anybody's game. It's really not. I mean BMW right. can take advantage of of problems in the first two teams. And uh, and you know make up positions when one of those guys drops out, and uh, you know can occasionally have you know can be fighting for poles or, or you know maybe fighting for race wins, but it's not you know they're not one of, just one of the three. Right. They're, they're not they're not the same level. I think the best way to kind of you know illustrate the point is on any given weekend you can have people arguing that Ferrari can win the race or McLaren win the race. You're not to the point where you can say on any given weekend. Ferrari or BMW or McLaren right win the race, or BMW is going to have the advantage of this race and BMW is going to win the race. They're not there yet. They could threaten. They can take advantage of other the you know Ferraris and McLarens' problems, but they themselves are not going to be a threat in anyone's mind going into the weekend. Yeah, and they've already proven it to be a factor in the constructors' points, uh, which will just only get more interesting as we go throughout the season. And Kubica had his poll. Yeah, my concern. Um, is that I don't want it to get back to the situation where Ferrari's just running away with it. Just it's just it's just not as fun and as interesting. Then talk to your boy Hamilton, man. Dude, I I have to, man. He gets something. He needs a little something. I mean, I feel like he he's trying his hardest and whether the car has gotten has gotten worse or the Ferraris have just gotten a lot better. I mean the Speed Channel guys seem to think that um that losing Fernando Alonso's insight as a double world champion, um, and his feedback to develop the car, that that's really what's hurting them. We're not so sure. I mean, that's I think it. that's I, rubbish. I feel like there's so many variables that go on between tires and temperatures and track surface conditions and testing and you know just everything that goes into putting a car together that I, I, you can't put it down to one man. And I mean, I, I we can't say for sure the impact that Alonso had in the team, but if the you know what we heard last year is true about the Alonso not sharing his engineering data with Hamilton and, and with sort of the way he was treated within the team and the, the way he interacted with people. And Hamilton continued to win after that fact. Yeah, we can't, I mean, I don't think we can just put it down and say it's that simple. Oh, hey, Hamilton's, or Alonso's gone now. Oh, look, Renault or McLaren's starting to hurt. <laughs> I'm getting confused here, man. With, with, with Heike Kovalainen out of Renault and into a McLaren and uh, Alonso going the other way around, I'm all mixed up, but... Um, but basically, yeah, I, I want to see McLaren come back to form. I would also love to see BMW and Renault up there as sort of equals and the best of the rest. Um, although it's it's unfortunate that uh, for for Renault because BMW's got two solid drivers um, that that are. I think what you can say is that on any given weekend for the BMW performance, it could be Kubica, it could be Heidfeld, um, which Absolutely. which you cannot say with Renault. I mean, no. you just can't. There's no. not a way that that Nelson's going to be right up there with Alonso. For the foreseeable future, really. I don't right. think this season. And I guess we should be fair. We PK is a true rookie, and we need to give him a little bit of time. You know, Maybe he just needs to get settled and learn some things. But for the moment, at least, it's going to be Alonzo or nothing, and that's pretty clear. And BMW's chopper could continue to prove, and I would love to see them become a third top team. I just, I, I can say pretty objectively, they're just not yet. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll talk about Williams for a second. Um, they sort of disappointed us this weekend. I mean, Kaz Nakajima, for one thing, is faster than Rosberg. I mean, Rosberg ended up having an engine failure right near the end of the race, which was which was too bad. But Kaz Nakajima really had his number all weekend. Well, that's the interesting thing. I'm pretty sure this is, in terms of true performance and actual pace, this is the first time Kaz Nakajima has been faster than Nico Rosberg. Uh, at the Spanish Grand Prix, Kaz qualified 12th, Rosberg 15th. 
that was pretty shocking to me. Rosberg's been the true, the clear number one for a while, and Kaz has been solid, but certainly not brilliant by any means. And he wasn't brilliant this way weekend either. I just think he had a little bit better fortune and just a slightly better handle on the track. But in general, Williams' performance was only so-so and kind of a downgrade from what we've seen. Yeah, it's hard to tell if, if everyone else just got that much better or if Williams actually took a step backwards. Um, I want to mention that Nico Rosberg's fastest lap was indeed faster than Kaznakajima's, but only by four-tenths of a second. So not a huge difference um, but uh, but then again, a noticeable one between two teammates. Yeah, and, and they, which they should be on the same car. You know, or they obviously they're in the same car. They should be on similar, uh, you know, setups and everything. Um, it was at different times of day and different different laps, and so there's always traffic and everything else. But uh, you know, so at least the point I want to make is they're not vastly different. It's not an Alonzo PK situation. Um, but I wonder if Kaz <laughs> really is. Yeah, well, that is what is that? What is that difference actually? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> let's, let's check that out. <laughs> Dustin uh, BK's fastest lap, a 125-444. Alonzo's, a 122-683. Yeah. That's a couple of seconds. Yeah, so that's that's a noticeable difference there. Um, so I, I I think Kaz Nakajima really is becoming comfortable in the team. Um, and if... You know, maybe they've maybe they've equalized performance, or or maybe Kaz is actually getting a bit better. I think I think it's hard to say with one race. I mean, that's only a single data point. Yeah, I mean, I'd say to a point. I say it's mostly that Nico was just you know not up to snuff this this time. And to be fair to Nelson PK, he was out pretty early in this race. He was one of the nine people I mentioned in the race report, which maybe we should go over here because there were nine fairly significant guys here. All right, in order of retirement here, I will uh, I'll call them out. So Sebastian Vettel. Um, and Adrian Sutil. And I want, I mean, Sebastian Vettel, Scuderia Toro Rosso had like the worst day ever. He's webbering, he's webbering it up big time here. Yeah, I mean, Vettel out on lap one again, okay? Uh, Vettel's done like 30 laps in the first four Grand Prix this and year. And it's not his fault again. A lot of times it's really not, yeah. Whether they're avoided, or, whether it could be avoided or not is, is sort of subjective, but it's really not, not ultimately his fault. Yeah, there were actually three people involved in this. Lap one incidents. It was Vettel, Sutil, and Anthony Davidson, actually. Mm-hmm. And Sutil got into Coulthard, and that caused Sutil to spin around. Yep. And in the process, Vettel tried. He was looking outside. He was looking inside, decided to go inside. And Sutil's car just rotated inside, and he smashed his nose right into the back of Sutil's car. So Vettel was out. Sutil was out. Yep. And then also, right at the end of that, Anthony Davidson got a chunk of Sutil's front end. Yeah, and that just enough to uh, to hit the the left side of uh, of Davidson's car, but he yeah. was able to continue. Davidson was able to go on for a few more laps, for a little bit. Yeah, and then he was out. So three people got out in this one lap incident. So that's three, and then we had Nelson Piquet and Sebastian Bourdais uh, getting together, and not in a romantic sense. Yeah, that, uh, and it's too bad to see the rookies. And to see Sebastian Bourdais, who you know we uh, we keep a keen eye on since he came out of U.S. Auto Racing and Champ Car and everything. Yeah, we like him more because he's better. <laughs> yeah, we know he's got a lot of talent and a lot of good racecraft, and it's and it's too bad he hasn't really been able to capitalize on that yet and, and really run with the uh, the top guys yet. But hopefully he's turning some heads. At least we'll have a better ride, you know, coming up and and you know have a real chance to shine but he's not there yet and it's really too bad when he's when he can only last seven laps in a race and and gets run into there's only so much you can do right and i mean i think ultimately this was kind of a race incident i mean both uh both jim and i are kind of leaning towards it being piquet's fault just a little bit but i think it was mostly a race incident yeah and then who do we have next oh heike kovalainen 
So in case you have somehow missed all the coverage of Heike Kovalainen's big crash, a um, very high-speed portion of the track, uh, he had actually a rim failure on his left front wheel. Uh, the rim, I mean, and this all happened so fast as it, as it, as it unfolded, looks like it pretty much exploded. Like, the rim actually separated, um, so the tire immediately deflated. Um, he was on a, a, a fast right-hand corner, and this is the outer the outer wheel, so the, the left front wheel. Um, the tire went flat immediately. It started to drag under the car. The car just went straight off. It just off. understeered straight off the track. There's nothing you could do about it. No time to brake. And, and so he kind of bounced over the gravel trap. I mean, the gravel really didn't look to slow him down very much at all. The car once, just flew Once you're going above it. a certain speed, the gravel, the best thing gravel's going to do is actually launch you yeah. into the air, not really slow you down. And he went straight into the tire barrier, but since he was right along the ground, didn't, didn't have any spin to it or any roll or anything like that. Um, pretty much tucked the nose of the car, like wedged it under and lifted the barriers the, uh, right under the tires, and so that our main concern. And the, and the marshals were actually trying to pull the car out from under the tires. There were like fifteen guys surrounding the car. It was really scary. Yeah. So I mean, the concern there is that you know, yeah, he survives the crash, but then you know, at, at the end of it, he gets beamed on the head with it with his tires that are all chained together and and all. Um, you know, there's a lot of weight in these tires, and you know, if he's if he's trapped on there, if, you know, got his, his his head's pushed down at a weird angle, or you know, the head or neck injuries is where all the all the concern is. Um, so that was sort of some tense moments there, and the the TV crew um, didn't show us anything that was going on as far as pulling the car out or yeah, whatever. Yeah, they started they... showing us the uh, cars behind the pace car. Yeah, and I guess there's some concern, you know, in, in case he was really seriously injured, and they don't want us to see that for some reason, or I guess if he had, had died or something. But, um, you know, we later saw him being pulled away on a stretcher, he, you know, and uh, and Hickey was given the, given the thumbs up. Um, he said he had a concussion, bruised yeah. elbow, but ultimately pretty minor injuries. Yeah, so it's, I mean... Well, just it's 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 really too bad for Hickey because he was having a good race and it's not his fault at all and that's just yeah. got to be the worst thing when you're just going along you're doing well and I'll, I just out of nowhere your wheel explodes. Oh yeah, I, I mean, mean come on. He's been strong for McLaren all all season so far. He qualified sixth, right behind Lewis Hamilton. He was only basically a tenth behind Hamilton, and he's been finishing strong. He's been consistent and. You know, McLaren has nothing to complain about with Kovalainen, and he did absolutely nothing wrong here too. There's nothing he can do. Even you know, even have the sense in the very short amount of time that he had to pull his hands from the steering wheel so he doesn't break a wrist or something. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's very unfortunate for him, but we're we're very happy and relieved to see that he's okay. Yeah, he's in a hospital tonight. He's in stable condition, and uh, he, um, they haven't said for sure if he'll be back for, at Turkey in two weeks. But uh, it looks like they say he'll make a full recovery in a couple of days. So uh, here's hoping that he does, and, and he could be back in action, and this won't uh, slow him down too much. Yeah, and so to lighten the mood, Rubens Barrichello was happy enough to get into an accident in the pit lane and have to and have to drive around with his front wing dangling along for an entire lap, So okay. crushing and creaming and damaging his radiators so in the process. So what happened here, quickly, because they actually didn't really show it on TV. Now, I don't want to uh, talk about what happened. I want to talk about the ends. I want to talk about what caused the causation of it. Who cares what happened? Yeah, well, with uh, Rubens, um, he's in getting, you know, for a pit stop, and uh, his team tells him on the radio, hey, there's traffic, but, okay, you know, here, go. So he says, okay, well, I'm going to stay out of the fast lane. So he's he's on, uh, you know, the the right side of the the pit lane, and and Fisichella is, is... also in the pit lane, and, and he's got to pull into to his box at, the, at um, Force India and just clips the front, uh, the, the left front corner of, of Barrichello's wing. And, you know, these wings are on, on the supports. It's basically like two pieces of carbon fiber that are holding on this whole front structure. And uh, it, it sort of tore the wing off, off uh, Barrichello's car, but not enough to completely separate it from the car. So Barrichello's driving around, and the, the wing is sort of 
working its way underneath the car and dragging along the ground and sort of going sideways for a little while. And, and Rubens is doing his best to, to move the car back and forth and, um, you know, try to break the thing free to at least, you know, drive, limp the car home without dragging this huge piece of carbon underneath it. But keep in mind, his best is not very good. Yeah. Um, and here's my problem with the thing. You know, <laughs> I, normally I would be happy to say, yeah, you know, this is Fisichella's fault. You know, he doesn't know what he's doing. But the problem is it's Barrichello, and we think both of them suck. So who do you blame here? I guess they're both equally bad at driving F1 cars these days or what? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's hard to say. And does either of them even hold a candle to David Coulthard? But we're not there yet. Well, we're not there yet. And here's the thing. It's like you almost – I almost want to give this one to Barrichello because, A, I still don't think he's learned how to left foot brake, and, B <laughs> – Fisichella has actually been doing pretty good this season, considering his equipment. It, it's weird. It's almost like the worse his equipment is, the better he does. Yeah, we we sort of have to concede that uh, Fizzy's been solid for for the for the team he's driving for, and uh, you know we we can't really complain that much about Fizzy. So we're gonna maybe go ahead he and just say... loves Curry. <laughs> it's possible he's with an Indian team now. Maybe that's I all mean, he needed to be happy. I yeah. love Lamb Korma, and maybe Fizzy and I have that. You know, maybe we co- share that common bond. If of, only he would leave us a Skype voicemail and just Korma. let us know. Whether he, whether it's the curry or what it is, it's done that. So okay, so Barrichello. Come so on. yeah, Barrichello, dude. What, uh, what's so going on? okay, well he ended up having to retire because he drove this car for an entire lap um, he, he, with this with this wing dragging underneath it, and it just damaged the bottom of the car. I mean, it's just dragging along yeah. there, just pushing bits off. It was it was just sad. It was yeah. really sad to watch, but it was kind of comical. So oh boy, and then the same lap as, that was retirement number seven as Barrichello's retirement. Our boy Fred Alonso, in spectacular fashion, uh, his Renault gave up the ghost. Yep, left bank said F it. I'm out. And then, like, three-quarters of the spectators pretty much took off at that point. Yeah, that was, that was hilarious. I mean, it's really, these are really guys that are there to see Fernando Alonso, and, you know, the, the, the hillside's pretty much not immediately cleared out, but by the end of the race, I mean, this was on lap uh, 34 when, uh, when Fernando Alonso was out, and so it's right about halfway of the race, and three-quarters through the race, um, the stands are, like, half, half capacity because, uh, you know, they're like, well, our guy's out of the race, so what are we going to be here for? You know, who cares about these other Formula 1 cars? Um, but yeah, so just an engine failure from the Renaults, and that's that's too bad because Alonso was doing well. But yeah, you know, that's 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 what happened. Yeah, and you know what can you do? He 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 drove really really well this weekend. This was the race for him to drive well. Although I mean, ironically enough, he, not ironically enough, luckily enough for him, he gets another chance to woo the Spanish crowd. Yeah, later a, in the year, the street circuit in Valencia that we're going to see. Uh, it's like September. I mean, it's it's forever away in the future, but. Um, forever away being three months. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess we're getting up there. Um, so, but that's, you know, that's, that's not in the next couple of weeks. So it's, it's my, my short attention span can't really quite grasp that. <laughs> and finally, seven laps after that, Nico Rosberg managed to blow up right in front of his pits. So yeah. He, he just, he just parked the car, over the fence. hopped over the wall and, and called it a day. Um, but then, yeah, I guess that's, you know, the Toyota engine is Williams just gave up and, uh, ended his day. So that's, that sucks for him. And that sort of. Um, yeah, Although, I guess it works well for, for Kaz Nakajima to get a good result. Interestingly enough, they do list it as mechanical on Rosberg's and engine on Fernando, so it's possible that maybe it was something other than the engine, but sure looked like an engine to me. Yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll check into that, but uh, either way, something went kablamo, and it sounded like an engine. I mean, we heard the onboard, and there sounds like pistons kind of flopping around in there, something broken. Well, maybe they want to keep a generic nose, like, no, no, it was hydraulics. <laughs> Yeah, the the, the no, you know the mystery retirement when someone just sort of pulls off the road. Oh, that's that's hydraulic. That's hydraulics. Yeah, yeah, gremlins. So there you have it. Nine cars retire, and that's 
partly what allowed guys like Jensen Button to score a few points. But yeah, and Yarno truly getting a point. I mean, that's Kaz Nakajima. Way, way to be there at the end, um, but you know, definitely the attrition um, was a big factor in today's race. And and that you know gave another Giancarlo Fisichella another top ten too. Yeah, man. I'll well, be that. Well, well done. You know, here's <laughs> the other thing. Here's the other thing. I'm looking at the results here. David Coulthard finished 12th, one lap down. However, Disco Dave is on the war path here. Yeah, man. We so we didn't even quite put this together. I was reading some articles. We we looked at today. The, um, the evidence is overwhelming. It's a conspiracy. He's out to get people. Yeah, and he's like head of the uh, Grand Prix Drivers uh, Committee or whatever. That's the, the GPDC. Um, that is all about safety and the safety improvements. Yeah, and maybe, maybe we got to give him credit for the work he's done. Out there. in the drivers' committee, maybe they didn't get the coffee he wanted. Maybe they yeah. didn't. Maybe they didn't get the Jamaican blend or something. But our, our our boy, man, he's. I mean, he had two crashes today. One was uh, on, in the first lap with Adrian Sutil, just right at the start. Nothing big, you know. A little bit of he's had a little bit of side damage on this car, but nothing nothing big. Um, but then later got into it with Glock and um, and, and with, with Timo Glock trying to Timo pass Glock cool in the Toyota. Car. And um, Coulthard driving right into him. Yeah, which is the third time he's done that. I mean, um, with uh, Felipe Massa in Australia and Jensen Button in Bahrain, um, you know, Coulthard somehow got hit while someone else was trying to pass him. And it's like he's not, whether it's something he's not looking out for them or not making room for them, he said, you know, he knows people sort of make jokes at him because he's old. And, you know, he's well, old. He is old. I, I mean, here's, come on. here's what I don't understand. But, yeah. Oh, okay, so... He says some. His response to that is, "Well, what do you want me to do? Just you know, drive off the track and let him pass me?" It's like, no, just don't hit people. I mean, I there's you know, he's making it out like it's one or the other. It's like, no, there, there's a happy middle answer right there. Yeah, whether it's some kind of communication with your car saying, "Hey, I know you're there, and I'm defending myself from you," and so the other drivers you know can can appreciate that, or whether it's you know knowing when you've lost a position and conceding it and saying, "Okay, I'm going to get out of the way and avoid a crash." Um, but it's like he's really got a chip on his shoulder that all these guys, they think they'll pull these, you know, these crappy moves on these me. These young I'm not whippersnappers gonna, are always yeah. trying these crazy targets. I'm not going to let it work for him. And then he always ends up crashing. So what is the deal? You know, and, well, and, here's the other thing you said. It's like, I like to look forward. It's like, okay, but do you have tunnel vision? Yeah. Have, have you got cataracts in your eyes and you lost your peripherals? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. So freaking cool tired, man. He's, or, or, he's old. Or... I will give one of maybe it's not Coulthard's part. Maybe Williams. No, I'm sorry. Maybe Red Bull needs to fire their side view mirror adjuster engineer and stat because that guy is just not doing his job. Could that definitely could calibrated be. improperly? <clears throat> I like this the the quote from uh, from Coulthard though. It said the Red Bull driver admitted he was tired of the accidents. <laughs> so at least we know that's not what he's quite going for. Going into a race, <laughs> he's not like, oh man, I hope I can crash with somebody today. So he's actually tired of the accidents. Um, he's not quite gotten to the point where he can start avoiding them yet, or you know, not not causing them in the first place. But at least you know, step one, he's admitted the problem. Step one of the twelve-step program, and, you're no longer in denial. And he's he's working he's working that through. So, Jim, um, Jim, do you mind if I kind of pause for a second here and and make a suggestion to Mr. Coulthard? I do not. Go for it, Mr. Coulthard, Dave. Perhaps what you need in your life is a little bit more white cheddar popcorn. Because I can I tell you something? This stuff is amazing, and I hate. I okay. It's really good, and we've been eating all podcasts. It's probably not good for our computers and stuff, but it really does soothe the soul. And I think maybe a little bit more popcorn in your life might keep you from hitting everybody. <laughs> I'm done. You can go on. That that may that may be what he needs. Um, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up for for this this week. I mean, without I mean, except for the major crashes and major you know engine explosions. Well, it's ironic you say that. Pretty much wraps it up for this week. We didn't even really mention Ferrari. I mean, you know. 
Raikkonen drove brilliantly. I mean, there's not, what Masa are you saying, though? Well. I, mean, I mean, there but, was there were I mean, there were like three on-track passes for position. I mean, yeah. of, of actual importance, you know. And, and, really, and they all happened before turn one, first lap. Well, Heidfeld's pass on um, was it Fizzy? Oh man, we don't remember. Well, see, no. yeah, Heidfeld. Heidfeld was looking to score. Well, Heidfeld yeah, Heidfeld's pass on, on, on Fizzy, he, but he had a penalty because during Kovalainen's incident. He went to the pits during the yellow when the pits were closed, and he had to do an extra pit stop as a result, and that screwed up his race, and he ended up ninth, and he couldn't really get anything after that mess, after that screw up. Yeah, I want to mention that because that that there's actually a bit of controversy on that. Um, and the the rule is if there's a safety car out, you can't the, the pits are closed. You can't just dash into the pits, um, and I guess just to, so people can't take advantage of the safety car. You know, then once the safety car's been out for a certain period of time, they'll open the pits, and then you're allowed to actually do a pit stop. Um, but what happens if you are pulling into the pits because that's your strategy, and like right within a couple of seconds of that, um, someone crashes on the on the track? I mean, I, you know, what if Heike Kovalainen goes nose first into the tire wall, um, and you you know you don't have enough fuel to even keep going, and so or maybe you've already made the call and you're already on pit road, but it's like seconds later, um, you know, it's just just a couple seconds after uh, after this crash happened and you didn't have time to react to it. Um, that's that's a situation Nick Heidfeld was in, right? So he's he comes into the to the pits because um, he's got to get fuel, otherwise he's, he can go maybe two more laps and he's going to run out just straight run out of gas, um, and he's penalized not for trying to take advantage of you know some tactical thing. Uh, and I remember Michael Schumacher doing that a couple of times where he would always seem to come out golden anytime a, a, a safety car would come out, and somehow he would like pit and come out right behind the safety car. And like not lose any position, like he had some weird magic with pit stops and safety cars, and you know I don't know if what what quite was going on there. I heard he had an Ecclestone Gold Star. Yeah, I don't know what that means or does. <laughs> but uh, so, and that's actually something the teams have been talking about, and this sort of just puts an exclamation point on it. Um, and it's something that uh, they're hoping to get changed. I mean, uh, and it's it's you know Williams is putting the uh, that's putting the char- or BMW, I'm sorry, is putting the charge forward right now for that. It was Mario Thiessen. Um it wants him to be changed after the next race in Turkey um, because, you know, his, you know, Nick Heidfeld had to do a 10-second stop-go penalty in the pits where he's, they're not allowed to refill, uh, refuel the car or work on it in any way, so it really hurt his position. And uh, for, you know, basically just for poor timing, and there's no way for them to know that. They've, they've got their strategy all worked out, and, um, you know, without changing it or without running out of gas or just finishing the race right there, what else can they do? Uh, so, you know, let's hope they'll address that in some way. It's an interesting point. I think ultimately it happens rare enough, and you have to kind of define a line somewhere. I think sometimes people are just going to be unlucky if he couldn't react to it. That's unfortunate, but that it is what it is. Yeah. And he gets the penalty, and that's it. So uh, that's my take. Uh, one other thing we actually almost forgot to mention, too, that could that could be nothing that could be really bad news, Super Aguri Honda may have completed its final F1 race. Yeah, and this, it's hard to say because, you know, we've heard this before the season started, you know, will, will Super Gurry even make it to the grid? And, you know, they didn't do any testing in the offseason. Then they, they showed up and, that you know, their sponsor deal fell through and then they found up, came up with another sponsor. Now that deal has fallen through. So it's hard, We you know, we don't want to keep sort of crying that the sky is falling, but this may, in fact, be the, the last uh, right. the last outing for Super Gurry. The problem with that second sponsor is they made an agreement, but then that second sponsor said, well, we don't want to give you any money. Yeah. So... Without money, they're just—I mean—just running out and uh, and just can't afford to, you know, get their equipment to the next race. It's it's really too bad um, with all that's been invested in that team and sort of how close they are 
to being successful and, and how they're, I feel like they're, you know, they every once in a while have these moments of brilliance. And Takuma Sato today was, I mean, his last of the running cars, but it's 13th, you know, which is definitely solid. And, um, you know, to see just all that go to waste because they just, you know, the, the funds dried up, it's really too bad. And so right. we'll definitely, we'll, we'll let you guys know if, if Super Guri's gone, we might have to come up with a good, you know. Nice memorial service of some kind. for them or, or something yeah. with, you know. And let's not forget that Takuma Sato was a god. Yeah, among men. He's, um. Really, pretty brilliant. Looks like Pikachu and um, drives just like like you wouldn't believe. What's a what's a Pikachu? Is I don't know. Bless you, little little uh, ja- Japanese cartoony guy. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So here's hoping that's uh, that's not the case. Here's hoping we see him next week and for the rest of the season. But that may not be true. Yeah. Well, all the whole, all the best to Super Agree. You know, I've got five bucks on it. So if uh, you know. I don't know. A couple million people can match me. Then yeah, we may then, have one more back. one more race weekend. But I want to I want to drive the car. I want to lap in the car if if I do pay five dollars. That's my stipulation. Super Aguri Honda Suzuki. You know where to find me. Let me know. All right. That said, um, F1 show news. Uh, we want to thank you guys very much for some of the uh, Skype voicemails we got. We actually have two voicemails. We gonna... have what? what? We well, have two voicemails. I know, dude. No, that's not that's not acceptable. You have to be more excited about that. I was thrilled. Yeah, you were actually emailed me straight away, dude. We have a voicemail. It's all capitals and the whole thing. Uh, it, you know what? It it honestly feels so good to hear from you guys, and. It wasn't even, I mean, you guys must really think Jacques Villeneuve is the best because we didn't get any replies to that, <laughs> you know. So I'm a little bit surprised at our fan base's, uh, you know, Feelings uh, affection for, yeah. for Jacques Villeneuve. But, I mean, honestly, I was so glad to hear from people that I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, um, and, and then that and the, uh, I think we said it a while ago that Fizzy was the best driver ever, and it turns out he's actually doing pretty well. So that didn't really pan out. But, uh, yeah, yeah Vill- maybe we're clairvoyant. Yeah, ooh, maybe Jack Villeneuve is going to make a triumphant return. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> we don't want that. If he does, I think this podcast might end. Yeah, but um, so here uh, we got uh, two to play for you here. So um, this is uh, Derek from New York. Hi, boys. It's Derek Roll in New York. Um, first of all, Bahrain. It's really great. CBMW are really coming coming on on you know, coming to form. Not only that, they seem to be doing it on their terms. Um, it was kind of awesome that they stuck with their drivers and didn't feel tempted to trade Heidfeld for Alonso, for example. And, you know, I really think they're going to come good. And I think it's unusual because, I mean, everybody's throwing more money than Colossus's banker at it, but it seems that they're doing it right. And I don't see, understand what the hell Toyota are up to besides basically pouring money down a sink. Second thing I want to mention is the Max Mosley thing. Um, the neat guy definitely needs to go. But at the same time, um, people forget Mosley's absolutely brilliant, has a brilliant legal mind, and I think he should quit and then sue the news of the world into the Stone Age. Um, there is definitely an invasion of privacy issue there. News of the world has got no right or any newspaper to entrap people. And lastly, um, I noticed that um, Graham Rahl won yesterday, and I've really not been following American Open Wheel Racing for the last few years. I kind of got bored of it. Um, I was kind of more into it when Zerardi and um, Montoya were there. And you know, occasionally I check in on Dario, and I'm glad he managed to win the 500 before he quit, because he's a fellow Scot. But um, 
Really, Graham Rahal and Marco Andretti should not be farting around in Indy cars just now. They can do that when they're retired from Formula One, and they should be in GP2 just now, getting their head around how to become solid leading Formula One drivers. I mean, Graham Rahal just cut that whole team open, uh, that whole race open yesterday. And he's 19 years old, and it's quite clear he can drive a car. And, um, you know, it would be very interesting to see, you know, when we're going to get some American drivers, especially when you've got two clearly talented ones, one of which is from American Racing Royalty, and he's sitting around in any cars. So I don't understand that. And I say get them into GP2 as soon as possible for a season and two. Build them up. They're both very young men. One's 21, one's 19. Having them form the one between 23, 24. And hopefully good enough to be in leading teams and maybe have a couple of GP2 champions there. So anyway, um, keep up the show. It's quite amusing. And um, hopefully we can get some American drivers over here. We've got plenty of other ideas. We can get some decent TV coverage. can actually get some interest in this sport over here. Um, but uh, I do find you guys are pretty enthusiastic, pretty enthusiastic and knowledgeable. And that's good to see. I just wish there were a few more people in New York. So have a good one, lads. Take it easy. Uh, first of all, Derek, thank you so much for the voicemail. Thank you. And, um, yeah, as far as BMW not throwing money away, I definitely think you're, you're bang on on that. Uh, the, you can what thank is, Dr. Mario Thiessen for that, mostly, I would think. Yeah, actually just developing the car instead of uh, throwing money away. And we don't know what Toyota's doing with all their money, but uh, maybe one day it'll, it'll turn good for them. Um, regarding the Max Mosley thing, we didn't mention that in the, in the last podcast. However, I did put up a discussion topic on our Facebook page. Yep, we had a little discussion there. We I, did, I and I, this too. might be a good time to say thank you, Gina, for talking about that and uh, and asking about it. And Jordan, for your input there as well. Absolutely. Uh, of course, Derek, we agree with you. We think we think he should go. And I think it was a very interesting point you made about suing uh, the news, but you know, at the end of the day, in terms of F1 terms, his credibility is gone. Yeah, just, you know, when you lie about something, when you, you know, have just, you know, just show this poor judgment, basically, um, about your personal life, you know, it, it's hard to say someone's going to just do, you know, make brilliant decisions professionally and have a, you know, just a, you know, clear and open way of thinking about, every, you know, all the all the decisions that are put forth um, when, you know, they have just this, this out there of judgment as far as what's acceptable and, and you well, know, what to do. It's really beyond that. You know, he's arguing that this is his private life. But you know what? Having a fetish for handcuffs and leather is your private life. Nazi is like, that's a whole nother level of world. Everyone wants to forget that, especially the Germans. And that's, that's, you just can't make that private. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Nothing's been happening with that um, since in the, in the last weeks. I mean, there's some Max sort Mosley, of council. Well, Max Mosley June was third. Yeah, that was not at um, at the Grand Prix this weekend in Spain. Um, well, you know, I think the rest of the broadcast world, sort of like us, um, you know, once they've you know they've they've broken the sensational headlines and that actually made news here in the U.S. and everything, which is surprising. Um, you know, it's really just one of those things you don't want to give him more attention about this than than he deserves. So, um, I mean, let's just let's get back to the business of Formula One, and you know, they'll they'll deal with that. There's nothing yeah. really we can do there's, about there's it. There's a council meeting June third, and that's where that type of thing's going to be decided. He wants to say stay. No one else wants him to stay except for <laughs> the odd Jews in the uh, in the F1 world. Randomly enough, Bernie Ecclestone and John Todd. <laughs> Whatever. Nice. Did you look that up? The, those are the. the 
like the top Jews in Formula One? Well, I don't know if they're the top Jews. I just happen to know they're both Jewish. Really? John yeah. Todd, I didn't know that. I think so. I'm pretty sure hmm. he looks it anyway. But I'm pretty sure. I, I, it's not that he just looks it. It's that I read it somewhere. I, if I'm wrong, tell me. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. And I'm Bernie Ecclestone. I'm, I'm also saying Ecclestone sounds. Come on. I don't know. You got me there. Um, but then as I'm far as look this up. okay, as far as getting an American driver into uh, into F1, um, I think those are very good points. I mean, I hadn't really uh, thought about Graham Rahal so much as Marco Andretti um, that, um, or thought of IndyCar as as a waste of time as it is, um, as you say it is. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it would be great to see these guys in GP2, partly to sort of see how they compare on the world stage, uh, because we know there's a lot of other really good drivers coming out of GP2, and. Um, you know, and and just to really get them, you know, still working forwards, and it's um, it's as we mentioned, it's too bad to see Sebastian Bourdais having come down so well in Champ Car, just been so dominant, um, to to still be sort of floundering in F1. But I think he just hasn't, you know, found quite the right arrangement there yet. Um, but absolutely, we'd love to see, um, you know, uh, Robin raced with Marco Andretti, um, you know, a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, met the guy and, and hung out with him and whatever, and uh, you know, and I actually I actually interviewed him as well. Yep. And yeah, he's he's one of those guys. Uh, Marco, interestingly enough, being the third generation Andretti, has zero interest in the intention and the fame of it. You know, he just wants to be treated as a regular person. Yeah. But he definitely is serious about the race, and he does love it. Um, although I have to say, Derek, my my fear is that these guys may become entirely average. In the F1 world, I'm a little bit nervous about that. Not because they don't have the talent to do it, just because they have been in the American scene so long that I'm not sure they could develop the skills at their core enough to really challenge, you know, to be European challengers. So yeah, I mean, like Juan Pablo Montoya came over from Champ Car and he did well, but never, you know. But he spent most of his life in Europe. Okay. I mean, he he raced. He actually raced in Skip Barber as well. But then he went over and he was, you know, Euro 3000 champion. Uh, in uh, I think it was ninety nine, no ninety eight. So okay, well, Cristiano Damata, then another uh, Champ Car um, flyover, European background. Okay, um, and then and again, never did anything amazing there either. I mean, you see, it's it's never it's not a path that anyone's really come out of um, the U.S. scene and and come on to be a world champion. I mean, that's or or at least even even really fighting for the world championship. Um, as as far back as you know the modern era, as far back as as we can really remember there. Um, and what what time like the present to change that? Yeah, absolutely. What's the story on uh, Ecclestone and John Todd here? Well, uh, Jer- J- he was born in 1930. All right, brilliant. Oh, wait, here we go. Bernie Ecclestone, he's a real live Jewish kid from the heart. Of- wait, what's this? Hold on. Oh, boy. List of Jews in sports. Oh, wait, I think I'm on to something. Well, you found, you found <laughs> the perfect website for this kind of research Okay, here. hold on. All right, well, in the meantime, um, we actually got another, another voicemail uh, from New Zealand, and uh, I'll play that for you here shortly. Hi guys, my name's Hudson, I'm calling from Christchurch in New Zealand, and you said you wanted people to call in and say good day, so I'm calling in to say good day. I've been listening to your podcasts over the last few months and enjoy them, went to the Australian Grand Prix for the second time actually, and that was amazing, great race and uh, very, very hot, but had a, had a good time there. So I just want to say, well done, we're listening to you here in New Zealand yeah, uh, keep up the good work. Later. Well, good day to you as well, and good thank, day. Thank you so much for the uh, for the voicemail. And it's definitely, I mean, it's great to hear, especially from people across the world. It's great to uh, to you know actually hear people that are excited about our show and are, are listening, and um, you know getting the email feedback and everything is great. But I think it's it's really cool to 
No, just just know people are out there and appreciate what we're doing. So, so oh, thanks for the voicemail. Jim's tearing up here. I, I couldn't agree more. I, no, honestly, uh, Hudson, very much appreciate uh, the compliments and very cool to just just know that New Zealand knows we exist. That's that's amazing to me. Yeah, that is fairly brilliant. And if you want to join uh, these guys and, and did he, you did you see how cool that was? It was. I mean, those guys are now like famous by virtue of being on the F1 show. Exactly, which is really pretty amazing. Yeah, if you if you think about that, they. They are now a part of the F1 show. Yeah. They, they did it. And you could be too. And just visit F1show.com. There's a big link there for uh, leave me a voicemail on Skype. And uh, it's all free, of course, to do this. And uh, so long as your computer has a microphone, you can leave us a, a voicemail and talk about whatever's on your mind. And if it's uh, worthy of putting on the show, as, as all of our voicemails so far have been, um, you'll be on a future show. So uh, whether you've got something to say uh, about what we talk about, about something that's going on in Formula One, or anything else really... Um, just uh, send us a voicemail, and uh, our Skype name is just F1 Show. Um, so if you if you wanna if you already have Skype and wanna just uh, try to call us up or leave us a voicemail, by all means, please do so. Okay, now a uh, couple of things we got to tidy up here. Yes, I'm sorry for my uh, lack of confidence here, but yes, John Todd and Bernie Ecclestone are in fact Jewish, according to Wikipedia at least. Well, if Wikipedia says so, that Wikipedia would not lie. Well, exactly, and John Todd is actually listed as a French Jew. That's an independent category. Oh, that's like a whole like a subcategory. That's, that's a subcategory. So, interesting. also now this is something I'm interested in doing. Jim, not quite as much, but we're going to give it a shot, and it's going to be the F1 show predictions by Robin and Jim, and we'll okay. start with Robin. All right. This is what I want to do, Jim. I want to predict the pole sitter and the race winner. All right. That's my prediction. We do it for the, we do it for the following race, and whoever's closest has to buy the other one a Coke. All right. And I get to determine what closest is defined as. Okay. Okay. And then the other thing I'm thinking is, listen, you guys, you guys tell us who you th- who you think's going to win the race too. You know, if you think I'm out to lunch, or if you think Jim's crazy, which you probably will be, tell us so. And uh, you know, let's get a discussion about it because I think you know there's nothing much more there's nothing more fun than predicting stuff and then being right and then being able to brag about it. Put some <laughs> money on it. Or a Coke on the line. Yeah, okay, okay, well, a Coke. All right, a well, Coca-Cola. All right, so I'll get to it. What do you think? Okay, for next race... Keep me right in, keep me right in. No? No. Oh. For okay. next race, I have on pole Kubica again. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, and a BMW. I think... So I you don't think, think Heike's going to bounce back. You don't, think, you don't think Lewis Hamilton would do his thing. Heike and seems, you don't think the Ferraris will be up there. Heike seems to be solid, but he's never been super strong qualifying, I thought. He's just not Polish. He's t- <laughs> well, well done. Well done. And for the race win, I think Raikkonen's going to do it again. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with, with Raikkonen. Um, I'm going to say a Raikkonen pole, but a Massa victory. Ooh! Yeah, yeah I went there. See, uh, I, would, I would see it the other way around, more likely. That's interesting. Well, We'll see. I just want to do so. I also want to do something a little different from you. So if uh, we have at least a, a point of discussion for next week, so uh, I'm going to say you know whether Reckon runs into some problems or that's a pit stop kind of a you know an issue or whatever it may be. Um, I mean, Massa's been solid. He won last week, and we we or, you know last three weeks ago in, in Bahrain. I mean, we we can't uh, we he, can't he, discount the guy. It's true, but I think he's a stronger qualifier than a racer. So that that's bold, is what I'm saying. Oh well, well yeah. There you go. You're you're bold. Then. What do you, what, do, what do you think, F1 show audience? Hit yes. us up on the Facebook page, f1show.com. Um, feedback at f1show.com. I mean, you got a lot of ways to get in touch with us. There's Absolutely. no excuse not it's to. It's growing. It's growing. Facebook, F1 Show, 
Skype voicemail. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, send us a letter to the F1 Show headquarters at F1 Show headquarters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basement um, of James Basement house. of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Just let's stick with the email. I think it would probably be yeah, best. Yeah, okay. Email is okay. probably best. Uh, and no matter what you do, the prediction that I know is right is getting a performance box. Because the F1 Show is now supported by the performance box, a GPS lap timer, GPS-based lap timer, performance meter, and data logger. Perfect for any car not to use at track days, autocrosses, or to simply see what your car can do. Probably not Derek in New York City. Shipping worldwide from VBOX USA. For more info and the online store, go to performancedrift.com. That's performancedrift.com. And if Derek, you if you do own a car, you should get one. Or just put it on the subway. That'd be interesting. See how fast? It's not going to work on a ground Come on. No cab. Right. Oh, you know what? I bet you that would be a wild data trace from a cab, actually. Could be. Um, that's that's so worth the price of admission could, alone. If you could get on that, it's only 500 bucks to see how fast your cab ride was. <laughs> that sounds like a great use of money to me. You know what? I had a friend that lived in New Jersey, and he used to drive into Manhattan. He said he used to use Manhattan as his racetrack. He would fly, he said, 80-plus miles an hour down Fifth Avenue and all these things. He said he never had to worry about the cops because they always had bigger fish to fry. Oh boy! Hence my reason those cab rides could be pretty crazy. Plus, that place is crazy bumpy, so I think you can catch air. It'd be interesting to see the altitude changes. That's that's definitely a good way to go. In the meantime, um, we've got two weeks until the next race is in Turkey. Yeah, and uh, we hope to be in touch with you guys on on Facebook and Skype and everything else. And um, absolutely, I've been loving it. Keep it going. Tell your friends. You know, we're, we're having a great time with this. Yeah, man. Um, until then, I'm Jim Lau, and I'm Robin Warner. See ya.